Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. The big story of the day yesterday was the Breitbart News politics editor, Emma Joe Morris, speaking in front of Congress, this committee on the uh, weaponization of the government. And she did a fantastic job, and it's worth hearing and listening to. And then we're going to play our interview with, and then we talked to Emma. That's not in this podcast, uh, but we did, and got the in, inside scoop of what happened and before and after and all this stuff. But then we were going to play the clip, uh, the segment we did with Alex Marlowe, the editor-in-chief of Breitbart, and we had a great conversation about courage. So as you're listening to this segment and listening to Emma Joe, because we play her testimony, I really want us to, I'm going to listen, think about it too as I'm listening back, um, think about courage and how rare it is and how important it is, and when we see it, we have to highlight it. Here's Emma Joe Morris. <laughs> Morris, you kidding me? Spoke in front of Congress yesterday, very own Breitbart News politics editor. Uh, we're going to talk to her coming up at uh, 7.30, just 25 minutes or so. Uh, we, I got a lot of questions because RFK Jr. was there as well. He was polling around 19% of the Democratic primary. And uh, by the way, this was the committee, the, the su- select subcommittee on the weaponization of the government. And it was about censoring. It was about what the, how the federal government has censored people. And here's Emma Jo Morris. She wrote the Hunter Biden laptop story. She was censored right, by big tech. Like, there's no one better to have up there talking about. And RFK Jr. is there. And, and before he spoke, there was a vote on whether or not to censor him, to stop the whole hearing, because RFK is anti-Semitic, they claim. We'll talk about that more in the next hour, like exactly what the claim is and why. But like, that's pretty wild, right? So we have a, a committee meeting on government censoring and they took a vote on whether or not they should censor the guy who's speaking at the hearing because they don't like things that he said. That's fantastic. So uh, we'll talk to Emma Jo about that and what they said to each other because there were a couple moments when they leaned over and were chatting. So pretty good. Testifying in front of a government committee here. Think about this laptop, by the way, before I play her opening statement for you. Think about this laptop. Like what a crazy moment in history. I think of the same thing with that uh, there's two, two bizarre political things in just the last few years. Anthony Weiner, and he just could not stop sexting underage girls, could not stop doing it. And he did, finally did it again. And it opened up this whole new investigation about him, a congressman from New York. And, oh, uh, gosh golly, his wife, Uma, was Clinton's, like, number two and here's a bunch of classified emails, and now we have to reopen the Hillary Clinton email investigation two weeks before the election. It's like, what? That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's all because Anthony Weiner and this whole Hunter Biden laptop thing, it's equally like, what are you talking about? You couldn't write that. Hunter Biden dropped off his laptop at a repair shop in Delaware. By the way, a repair shop owner who's legally blind. He's like, I don't know how that works exactly. But he dropped it off and he left it there because he's a crackhead. And that's what crackheads do. They do stuff like that. And he left it there long enough that it became the possession of this guy. And this guy decided to give it to whoever, like Rudy or whoever. And it's like, oh my goodness, how did that happen? It's amazing. 
And Emma Joe was able to report on it in great detail with all the sourcing that a journalist would need to bring a story to the people and was right about everything. And I distinctly remember seeing this story posted on the New York Post Twitter page and you, you're not being able to retweet it. They posted it. You couldn't retweet it. It was, it was grayed out, the retweet button. And at first, Twitter banned it from its highlights section. You know, the trending section on the side if you go on Twitter. So it's banned from trending. But then they banned you from retweeting it. And then they banned you from linking to it on your own Twitter page. So even if you went to the New York Post and you copied the, the, the URL and you put it on your own Twitter page, they wouldn't even let you do that. Twitter later said, in many countries, including in the U.S., if we have signals that a piece of content is false, we temporarily reduce its distribution pending review by a third-party fact-checker. That's not what they did at all. They locked the New York Post out of their account until they deleted the original story. And the New York Post refused to do that good for them. And for two weeks, they were locked out of their account. They finally were let back in. And the New York Post had a headline, uh, Freebird, when they were let back in. Here's the New York Post at the time. This is right before the election. The move came after the Post refused Twitter's demands that it delete six tweets that linked to stories that the company claimed, without any evidence, were based on hacked information. It wasn't. Nothing was hacked. The Post never budged and kept the tweets on the account during the standoff, even as Twitter obscured them from view. Gosh, I distinctly remember that moment. I can't imagine how Emma Joe felt about it. And now we know a lot more about the laptop and why the left didn't want it to be seen. And we've seen a lot more. Did you see Marjorie Taylor Greene showed very large pictures of Hunter Biden with prostitutes that were found on the laptop. She held those up at the hearing. Emma Jo did not do that. She just told her story. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, my name is Emma Jo Morris, a politics editor at Breitbart. Um, I'm here today because I published a series of news stories three years ago in October of 2020 about Hunter Biden's now infamous laptop, also known as the laptop from hell, uh, which is seen as some of the most scandalous reporting of the last decade. Um, what was more scandalous than the reporting itself, though, was the fact that it exposed the unholy alliance between the intelligence community, social media platforms, and legacy media outlets. At the time, I was deputy politics editor at the New York Post, and um, my reporting showed that despite then-candidates Joe Biden's repeated and furious denials, he was apparently involved in the foreign business deals of his family. Over se several days, just weeks before Americans would vote for their next president, I revealed verified, authentic emails from the Biden Scions hard drive showing Ukrainian business partners receiving leaks from the Obama White House, I documented an off-the-books meeting between then-Vice President Biden and a Ukrainian energy executive and introduced the world to the big guy um, who got action on a deal with CEFC, China Energy Company. The Post published exactly how the material for the reporting was obtained, even identifying our sources, um, as well as a federal subpoena showing the FBI was in possession of the material the story was based on and had been since December of 2019. Um, but when the stories appeared on social media that morning, the venue where millions of Americans go to find their news and editors to get their angles, uh, within hours the reporting was censored on all major platforms on the basis of being called hacked or Russian disinformation. Um, 
Twitter refused to allow users to share the link to the stories, banned the links from being shared in private messages, a policy, by the way, that's used to clamp down on child porn um, and lock the post out of its verified account. Facebook said it would curb distribution and reach of the links on its platform. However, the stories were not based on hacked materials, nor were they Russian disinformation. And despite those claims appearing to come out of thin air at the time, we would eventually learn that they actually didn't come out of thin air at all. On October 19th, five days after the Post began publishing, Politico ran a story headlined, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former Intel officials say. God, I can't even say that with a straight face, you know? <laughs> Politico printed a letter completely uncritically from veteran members of the U.S. intelligence community falsely claiming that the post-exposé has, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. My God. <laughs> Most notable among the signatories of that letter were Jim Clapper from former DNI, Michael Hayden, former CIA, John Brennan, former CIA, despite having such damaged credibility following their participation in the Russia collusion conspiracy theory. A few days later, on October 22nd, when Biden appeared in the second presidential debate and was uh, confronted with the facts of the Post reporting, he said to Trump, quote, 50 former national intelligence professionals said this, what he's accusing me of is a Russian plot. But it was not, um, and he knew that. Now, fast forward to this year, three years later. Just last spring, House investigators revealed it was a call by now Secretary of State Antony Blinken to former acting CIA Director Michael Morell that prompted the spy letter published by Politico, which bypassed agency approval processes that would have been normally applied. It is also now known that ahead of my reporting, federal agencies were priming social media companies to execute an operation to discredit it. According to internal documents released by Elon Musk upon his acquisition of Twitter, the FBI and other intelligence community members essentially directed the platform's censorship operation, in part externally by working with top management and in part internally by social media companies hiring eye-popping numbers of agency alumni. Journalist Michael Schallenberger reported, based on documents he obtained from Musk, that during all of 2020, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Twitter executives to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. Feds arranged for top secret security clearances to be granted to Twitter management and even had encrypted messaging networks set up, which they dubbed a virtual war room. To this day, hundreds of people from the intelligence community work at social media companies. Over the last few years, my reporting has been confirmed by virtually every mainstream news outlet, from the Washington Post to the New York Times to Politico, when the stakes were nothing, by the way, two years later. No one denies that the laptop is real, that the origin story is exactly what I told you it was in the first place. This elaborate censorship conspiracy wasn't because the information being reported on was false. It was because it was true, and it was a threat to the power centers in this country. What this relationship between the U.S. government officials and American corporations represent is, is an unprecedented push to undermine the First Amendment, the right to think, write, read, say whatever we want, and how we respond will determine whether we see a free press as inalienable or as optional. Thanks. That last line, this elaborate censorship conspiracy wasn't 
because the information being reported on was false. It was because the information was true. And a threat to the power centers in this country. What this, represent, what this relationship between the U.S. government officials and American corporations represent is an unprecedented push to undermine the First Amendment, the right to think, write, read, say whatever we want. Yeah, if you do a, a dive, a study in the freedom of speech and the history of it, it's very interesting. Our founders worked very hard to get the wording right. But the sentiment they knew was true and good. There was no one who questioned that, even as historic and revolutionary as it is, James Madison, his original draft, said the people shall not be deprived or abridged of their right to speak, to write, or to publish their sentiments. And the freedom of the press, as one of the great bulwarks of liberty, shall be inviolable. I don't like that word. Inviolable. Inviolable. It's hard to say. Uh, the The definition today of inviolable is never to be broken, infringed, or dishonored. So the freedom of the press, never to be broken, infringed, or dishonored. The original Webster's Dictionary, 1828, which is the only one you need to go to, uh, inviolable means not to be profaned, not to be polluted or treated with irreverence, to be treated as a sacred place. Sacred things should be treated inviolable. It's a sacred thing. It's something that should not be profaned. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we've been doing, obviously. We've debased our own value of the freedom of speech. Forget about Congress making no law, which is ultimately what the wording they went with. Um, we don't value it as, as a people anymore. That's, that's the, to me, that's the bigger problem. Because if, if you value it as a people, the government's not going to infringe on it because we wouldn't allow it. But you have to first not value it culturally, and then the government will gladly <laughs> just take it away from you. So my bigger problem is, is the cultural, just not even desiring freedom of speech, especially young people. It's most concerning of all, right? Young people saying that hate, hate, hate speech uh, should be criminal. <laughs> okay, well, what's, what is hate speech, right? You get the whole thing. But we take it for granted. We take it so for granted. Socrates said, free society allows anyone to follow a philosopher's first task. That is the study of the soul without any governmental or societal constraints and in sympathy with the dictates of one's own individual nature. You should be free without any constraints. In Athens, there's this massive building. It's called the, the Stoa of Atalos. It was built by King Atalos II, 150 BC. It's a huge building, 100 yards long, columns all the way down. It's just beautiful. They rebuilt it in like the 50s. So it's all... In, in pretty pristine position. And back in the day, this was a, like a market. You could sell things, but mostly it was a place where people could go to say things. It was the Twitter of their day. And the Greeks highly valued this ability to speak freely. And they valued the men who came before them who gave them those rights. That's the key. We don't value the people who came before us. We don't value the things they did and we don't value the result. So what, what, do, we, what do you think is going to happen? It will go away. And then when you have to fight to get it back from nothing, good luck with that. 
It's almost never happened. <laughs> it's a miracle that the guys who came before us could ever pull it off. And we're just going to give it away. We're going to give away our freedom to speech. Freedom of speech. The famous Pericles funeral oration. I love this part. He says, we inspire wonder now, for we have forced every sea and every land to give access to our daring. Fix your gaze daily, daily on the power that actually belongs to the city and became her citizen heroes. And when you realize her greatness, keep in mind that those who acquired this were men of daring. Right? So look, look, at, look at America, essentially. This is Greece, but look at America. Look at this, look at this place. Unbelievable. Look at this right freedom of speech. It's miraculous. And then keep in mind those who acquired this. They were men of daring, men who knew what was demanded, men who were uh, ashamed to be found wanting in action. So they were ashamed to if they weren't fighting for it. How about that? That's what it used to be back in the day. If you weren't defending, in this case, freedom of speech, you were ashamed. They gave their lives in common. And each on his own received in return both a praise that never grows old and the most remarkable of tombs. Not that in which they lie buried, but rather that in which their reputation is laid up forever, always to be remembered on every occasion which calls for speech or deed. It's great. Do we always remember those who came before us and gave us our freedom of speech? Do we? No, we forget. So, of course, we're going to take it for granted. And it will wither away, if not be taken away. We will let the tyrants, or the mini tyrants, that's maybe even worse, we'll let the mini tyrants, the Gavin Newsoms, come around, the, the, the Gretchen Whitmer, whoever, right, come and chip it away until it's dead. We'll let our government censor folks we don't like first, right? First the bad guys, first the enemies. And then the president. <laughs> the president, they don't like the president, we're going to censor the president. Obviously, though, he's really bad. And then, as sure as the sun will rise, they'll take away your freedom of speech as well. Anything that threatens their power always and forever. Because that is the tale as old as time. That is, that is the norm. That is all of history. Freedom of speech is the red line. For me, that's the red line. We can't let them cross it. If they control your speech, they control what you think, they control what you believe, they control who you are, and you have no way to redress your grievances, as our founder said. But that means you, you, you have to also exercise it responsibly. But you can't weaken that muscle. Everyone's got a muscle of thinking. You have a thinking muscle and a speaking muscle, and you got to use it. And I'm grateful for Emma Joe for exposing the threats that are against you, against all of us in this country right now so that we can take it back for ourselves before it is too late. Because once it's taken, it's, <laughs> listen, not, not the, what are you going to do? Once it's taken from me, what are you going to do? This is Congressman Stefanik asking uh, Emma Joe. Ms. Morris, isn't it true that your October 2020 Hunter Biden laptop from hell story has proven to be 100% factually accurate? I was 27 when I published that story. It better have been. <laughs> this elaborate censorship conspiracy wasn't because the information being reported on was false. 
It was because the information was true. Daily. In light of that uh, Emma Joe Morris testimony, we talked to uh, Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief of Breitbart. And what this means for Breitbart, what it means for the country, what it means for her, what it means for all of us, uh, as we need to spend more time highlighting courage and be inspired by it and be more courageous ourselves and teach our kids to be courageous. It's the most important thing we can do right now. It's the, it's the value in shortest supply. We need more of it. You can only get more of it if you celebrate it. Here's Alex Marlowe. What a week, right? Um, with Emma Jo Morris. We talked to her last hour. She's great. How do you, what do you make of it all? You know, one thing that I've really enjoyed at Breitbart is that even though my main job has been to report the news, curate the news, try to make the news a little bit more exciting for people in general, every once in a while, I've had a chance to work with someone who's got just such a big, exciting personality and has the ability to do things that most people can't do. Uh, and Emma's one of those people. I mean, she's already had one of the biggest stories of the decade and, you know, she's in her 20s. And um, when I heard she got called to testify on this weaponization of government committee, it was super exciting for me because I, I, I live for this stuff. <laughs> the idea of trying to show people who we really are, people who are not inclined to turn in tune into conservative talk radio, people who aren't going to conservative web pages every day, uh, people who are just general, generally curious about the news or even might naturally dislike us uh, to get to see who we are and who we're, what our ideas are and what drives us is very motivational. And so I was just super excited to help her get prepared and help her work towards getting those talking points out. Yesterday, I thought her opening statement yesterday was so brilliant. And I think she encapsulated a lot of not just what happened with the laptop from health story, but really what's happening in this country in general, how we have so many people, almost all of them on the left, justifying a level of sort of Orwellian style white totalitarianism to justify their political worldview. And I think that's pretty much what came through yesterday. Yeah, the best line, there's a lot, but uh, the elaborate censorship conspiracy wasn't because the information being reported on was false. It was because the information was true. I mean, that's just as good as you get. It, it, it gives me chills, like, like, like hearing you say, like, that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly right. And it's the scariest thing imaginable. And you would think that's beneath Americans, at least when I was, I'm not a particularly old guy, Mike, you and I are about the same age. I mean, it's, I feel like when I was growing up and I was taking civics classes and American history classes and learning about this country, uh, you would think that statement would have sent a shiver down anyone's spine, regardless of your politics. And I no longer feel that way now. Now mm -hmm. I feel like a good 35, 40% of the country, not, not half necessarily, but a good chunk of the country is like, you know what, though? If they're extreme MAGAs <laughs> or if they don't think Trump is the worst guy ever, then... Uh, or if they uh, think maybe the vaccine was overrated or something, then the, then then we should censor them. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't matter if what they're saying might turn out to be true. They're so dangerous. They should be put in check. And that, to me, is just not sustainable for the republic. No, 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 no. It, it, if it if it, that speech makes me feel 
a certain way, it's no good. It's criminal. That's that's a horrific, especially for younger people. I think it may be thirty percent of the people at large or total, but it might be sixty percent of people younger than us, right? And you're like, ooh, that's not good for the future. Yeah, and the, one of the problems with this, I think now, is that now we have sort of information overload, and then there's such a huge degree because of social media of peer pressure. So people build up these brand. People aren't coming to their own conclusions about about mm. brands and what they stand for. And it's not always easy to feel like you've got a certain news outlet or a certain reporter or someone that you're reading, you have them pegged. And it, it, people are, I feel like, are getting more and more tempted to blanket define someone or something and then to use that to shape their whole their worldview about that person even if it's sort of maybe something you heard from someone or you picked it up somewhere that is not credible and this is something that could be very dangerous and this is why for me aside from you know the family the the most fame the most important unit uh, in American society for me is the individual. And I always look to that. And I feel like if we stop treating people like individuals and we start treating people like, oh, you like Trump, so that must mean this about you, uh, is that's very dangerous and is very lazy and it's going to set us back. And that's the whole trick here is that people get these perceptions of Breitbart. They get these perceptions of people who uh, think that the the Biden family is corrupt or people who think the Biden family is good. And then you just tune out the rest. And and that, that cannot happen. We cannot have that. And that's one reason why I'm drawn to talk radio so much is because, Mike, if you want to try to have a tribal blanket point of view, your show's going to be pretty boring. It's going to mm. be a pretty boring show. So it's the, the and that's generally what I'm nervous about here is there was no defectors on Democrat side yesterday mm. doing the questioning who thought, hey, uh, by the way, Emma, uh, you know what? You did. You got it right. The New York Times got it wrong. Washington Post got it wrong. And um, you know what? We all we all made a mistake. And yeah. uh, I'm not saying I'm sorry because, you know, I, we don't do that anymore. But uh, you know what? We made a mistake. Yeah. They'll never good, do that. Mike. And good, good. Good for you. You know, like, how about yeah, that? Like, right. a, like, good for you. You did a you did a brave thing because yes. no one else did it. And Emma made that point. She's like, other journalists had this story and they didn't go with it. Um, yes. And that's a point, point I was trying to make earlier. And, and you can make it better than me. I was talking to Jordan Peterson. This is a while ago. And I said, what characteristic do we need more of in this country? And without mm. skipping a beat, he said, courage. Yeah. And freedom of speech takes courage. What Emma did took courage. And it's a muscle that I think we're losing um it is i think um my, my friend dennis prager describes it as the the rarest of the good values mm. or the good traits um not necessarily the most important necessarily but it, it's even though maybe it is but it's just it's certainly the the one that is in the the shortest supply um and i was just talking about this i was just doing a, I was literally doing a personality test with uh, <laughs> which with, one with, 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 you it, do? it was it was it was actually one that my wife had to do at her work and she okay. wanted to see how i did uh and <laughs> i was thinking Danger. about fraught, fraught with peril potentially oh, careful it, 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 t- t- it turned out great but it really could have gone <laughs> south it could have it could have gone south at any point um and i was thinking about my strengths and weaknesses and i was thinking about there are so many th- 
problems that if they were put in my path, I would I would really struggle with things that people deal with all the time. I, I won't go into them; it's too embarrassing. But mm-hmm. I just think of myself and what I can take on. And there's certain things I feel like I don't I don't that, that I can't believe people live through that or they go through mm-hmm. that or they have to deal with that on a daily basis. Uh, and I really admire that. And you know, for for me, and I think this is a trait that journalists and public figures have to have. Uh, uh, you have to be able to be courageous. And I look for that when I'm hiring people uh, at Breitbart, when I'm hiring journalists, because sometimes you come across information which is upsetting. Like you are going to have to report on someone you thought you liked. You're going to have to report on someone who's very powerful. Uh, You're going to have to deal uh, deal with circumstances where you know there could be blowback for what you do. And that is something that the best journalists do have that. And I think that that's one that is not a political trait. It's just a, um, I I think it it is, it's a personal trait. But one thing the left does better than the right does, the, what the left does is they seem to be more in tune with that and they big up their people. They show their people that they back them. And the right, uh, uh, I don't know, Mike, if we do a good enough job praising the most courageous people on our side. Mm. Um, and so I'm glad you brought that up because I think that what Emma had to do in her mid to late 20s, you know, she's reporting the story that not just the Bidens don't like, the whole media doesn't like it, social media doesn't like it, the deep state doesn't like it, the uh, all of corporations don't like it. And she, while they're trying to discredit her over nothing, she's sitting there typing out the next story. She's like, I got the next one. I, I got I to keep going. And and that is, so you're sort of internally as a human being freaking out that everyone thinks you're the worst person on the planet right now. But then you got to keep typing because your next story is you get a deadline tomorrow or whatever it is for the next draft of yeah. the next story. And I just think that's so cool. And um, it is, it, it was good to spend a day or two um, publicly, at least think, thinking about the behind the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, that's very good. I'm thinking of this courage like, and what that looks like in this world that we are all in, everyone listening yeah. now too. And it, it, to have courage, it has to be more than, this is the first thing I went to when I was trying to define what it would look like. And I was like, eh, that's not it. It's got to be more than I don't care. Mm. You know, more than, oh, I don't yeah. care what happens to me. Or I'm just going to put it out there. I don't care. It's, it's more than that. That's not sustaining enough, right? So what is it? What, what is that drive? Well, I mean, for you and me, I'm sure it's probably pretty similar. I mean, we feel like we're here. We're trying to help the country and we're on a mission and we're on a mission because we like this country. We're God fearing people. Uh, I, I find it interesting when you find people who are uh, secular, who are courageous. That's mm. almost more more odd to me. I feel like like God fearing people. Um, uh, ultimately, we're told to do the right thing, and we have a set of values we're trying to affirm with our actions day to day. Not to say any of us live up to it exactly, but I mean, at least that's in the back of our mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it in journalism is just just general narcissism. Uh, that's not what Emma has. I mean, people are getting to know her. I think who listen to your show and um, who listen when I was host. But it's the. But I think a lot of the courageous journalists. It really is just purely about I'm great and I think I'm great. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not but, ideal. No, no, but that's not the, yeah. the, that's not the ideal. The ideal is is when you feel like you've got a set of values that are worth it. They're worth the fallout mm. um if you for if if you feel like you've done you've done the right thing, that you've done the moral yeah, thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I I love talking to people who have done courageous things because you talk to them and you're like I'm like aghast. 
Like, wait, yeah. what do you yeah, yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. You did what? You gave up this and you risked yeah. that? And they're like, yeah, I mean, like, what else would I do? And you're right. like, oh, I don't know, like a hundred other things that would have been way easier. And they, they <laughs> yeah. can't even fathom the not doing it. And we were talking to one of, yeah, we were talking to one of the FBI whistleblowers uh, just mm-hmm. the other day, maybe last week. And uh, I was like, hey, man, like, you blew the whistle. These terrible things happened to you. You lost your job. You had a nice, cushy job in the FBI. I said, do you have any kids? He's like, yeah, I got three kids. I got a wife. I was like, well, man, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, again, I'm like this, like a gasp. It's like genuine. Like, I'm genuine. Like, that's amazing. Good for you. Yes. And, and I go, why'd you do it? And he goes, you know, my wife and I talked about it, which is a great start. And he said, we just decided it'd be better to have hungry kids than morally bankrupt kids. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that that's a man who's thought deeply about this <laughs> and, and made a decision not because I don't care what happens, but because he really does care what happens. Wow, that's so profound. And it is uh, th- that does come back to my point about how I'm always stunned that people stumble by accident upon the right values if they're uh, secular because God fearing people. That's what they rely on. I was talking to Emma about how she was preparing for I don't think she'll mind me saying this, but how she was preparing um, for yesterday, which of course we did, a, a, we were working together a week on it. And, um, there's one thing we were, we were thinking about. And then I asked her what, what her conclusion was. And she said, well, I prayed on it and this is what I came to. And I thought she came to the right conclusion. And you know, th- th- that, that's a powerful thing. And a lot of people in the secular left don't have that. Um, and that to me is more confusing people on the right who are, can come back to that. I think that that, that, that is more, then there's a logic to it. There's mm-hmm. a logic to, okay, well, I ultimately decided these are my values and that's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live that way. And that works. I find it very interesting when people are able to be, um, when when the courage isn't really courage, it's really just sort of self-importance. Mm-hmm. And that is, the, 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 that's worth a longer conversation. But I do think that um, it, it, it is one of the good traits good journalists have, and I didn't always appreciate it. I always thought that people were just serving themselves and they weren't um, in, in, when, when they were when, when they were big shots. And that's not always the case. A lot of big shots are big shots because they had they had the guts to do the right mm, thing at point. a tough moment. Yeah. OK, so my, I think my conclusion from this is if courage is the rarest of the virtues or the, the one that's yeah. in shortest supply, then to your point, we need to be really on the lookout for it and celebrate it. And, and highlight it whenever we see it, even if it seems out of out of the flow or out of the news cycle or whatever. It's like, no, this needs to be highlighted because we want more of it clearly. Um, I could talk about this all day, Alex. We only got like a minute. I feel like we should talk about maybe like one political thing. But there's, there's sure. been a lot of hearings this week and a lot of FBI and IRS and whatever. Has the ball moved forward? And I don't even know what forward means in this context. But wh- yeah, what's your but- review? You've asked the right question. And um, I, the ball's moved forward, I think, a bit. I think that there is a energy around the fact that the Biden family has a, is, you know, essentially a crime family. Um, their crimes might technically be legal, and that's worth a much longer conversation that I'm sure we'll have a lot over the next year and a half. Um, but I think people get the picture that they're using the system to their advantage. They've probably made eight figure sums and they've hidden almost all of it and gotten away with everything. And I think that that is in the consciousness. Um, the fact mm-hmm. that the FBI knew about the big guy a year before Emma's story and did nothing, I think that is becoming mainstream knowledge. Now, is there one kernel that is impeachable or we're going to throw Joe Biden out and we're going to put Hunter in jail? 
Unfortunately, no, I'm not seeing that yet. And I, 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 I'd be very interested to see it, but I'm seeing a lot more energy than I am some specific that will take down the Bidens. But I feel like they're more exposed than ever. I'll take the momentum. Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief of Breitbart.com. Alex, great to see you, man. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm American made. I got American parts. I'm on vacation next week. It's like I said, I want you just on a vacation. <laughs> kind of. It's been a lot of vacation. Too many. Too much. Vac- but I have no other vacation for like a year. Like, I'm like... So this is it. Uh, but the great Brett Winterbull, my old friend, Brett Winterbull, we used to work together not too long ago. He's great. Love Brett. He'll be here all next week. And then we'll be back the week after. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Apologize.